and welcome to another week of the Over and Stumps Career Podcast here on the Inner Sanctum Network. And isn't there a bit going on in the world of cricket? My name's Jono, and as I am every week, I am joined by both Rory and Sean. Sean, I don't know about you, but it, for me, it was nice to actually get out to cricket training on Sunday. Did you um did you get out over the weekend? Now that we're allowed to actually go and have some sanctioned training. Oh, look, I did a little bit. Um, There was some cricket thrown in and I did enjoy it at the time. The next day, my body very much hated me for it. But um, yeah, just getting back into it, you know, know, I really find the fielding drills interesting where you throw a ball 20 metres away from from the keeper and you realise just how out of touch you are. I think that's a good way to, you know, get back to living normally. I don't know about you, but... Um, yeah, that's just all part of the thrills of local cricket, um, rolling up, seeing the first um, fielding drill and seeing just how stiff your shoulders really are. Um, Rory, I can just, well, I, I don't know how similar situation it might have been up in Canberra, seeing that you guys are a few weeks ahead of us in terms of restrictions, but how is the preparations for local season and just um, how are things going in the nation's capital? Yeah, pretty good in the capital. It's nice and warm today, which is good. On the cricket front, yeah, it's um, it's not preparation's not gone as well as I would like. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, as Sean said, it's you get very sore afterwards, and yeah, it's just it's not the bowling's not coming out great, and I, my stump seem to be falling over when I'm batting. So I don't know what's going on there, but yeah, oh. we'll see what happens this weekend in the first game. Well, good luck for your first game. We're still a couple of weeks ahead. We're still a couple of weeks away from kicking off our respective seasons, but don't worry. We will be keeping everyone updated with our progress and how we're going on the Over and Stunts podcast because I'm sure everyone will be interested in how we're going along with other members of the Sanctum who are lacing up and strapping on the pads this season. But, boys, I don't really know where to start this um, podcast. There's been that much going on since we've last recorded. We've had big story after big story after retirement and other competitions going on. But I think we'll start with the biggest news relevant to Australia. And, well, he's coming. Coming! I'm here to do my thing. I'm here to bring the pain. I'm never, ever going to... Thanks. Well, not MVP, but... (laughs) Ben Stokes is coming to Australia. It almost seems like, you know, it was inevitable that he would be added to the tour. But nonetheless, we found out at about 6.30 p.m. on Monday evening that just a regular Durham all-rounder named Benjamin Stokes has been added to England's touring party and he will be coming out to Australia for the Ashes. Yeah, that's right. It's going to be good to see him out here for the, well, what is the first time since his debut series? Um yeah, Ben Stokes, he makes that side a lot better and it's just good to see him back out on the park playing cricket. I don't think the Australian team will be all that happy that he's going to be back. It might make that 5-0 win a little bit harder, but... No, 4-0. Yeah. Okay, yeah, 4-0. Maybe get some rain in Sydney as we always do. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, Ben Stokes is obviously the best operator in the world and having him in Australia is going to be excellent. It's, good, it's going to be good viewing. Personally, like England choosing to release it at 6.30 as well. That's some prime time. Just, you know, just really trying to probably trigger our psyche a bit. If some of us remember Leeds and all that, I think it's just a nice little reminder. Probably I'd end up going to bed having a couple nightmares of just some miscellaneous tattooed redheaded men just swatting sixes. I don't know about you guys, but just the way they did it, I'd almost perfectly done to set him up as a supervillain that I think we're all pretty haunted by still. I think it gives... 
this upcoming series just a completely different complexion. It like changes because you we saw and we spoke about it on this podcast when the um when the squad got named a few weeks ago. Um, and there was no Stokes, there was no Jofra Archer, and aside from Joe Root, the batting was really plain from an England point of view. And they were going to come out with uh, Rory Burns and Hasib Hamid and Dan Lawrence and Ollie Pope and all good players on the day, but no one that really has that um, I can take a game away from you um, feeling about it. But he's got that aura that maybe only one other player in that England squad has Ben Stokes. And first and foremost, it's fantastic to see him back um, from taking a break from the game from a mental health perspective that is feeling okay and well enough to come back to cricket and that his finger has also healed. And you've seen the videos of him gripping a cricket bat and batting and bowling in the nets and just slowly getting back into it. And as lovers of the game, which we all are, you want to see the best players compete. And I think it would just be fantastic that, He's coming back out here. And as you rightly said, Rory, the last time he was out here playing a test match was his debut series. He was a baby-faced, baby-faced all-rounder in that um, 2013 whitewash where he was the brightest star for England on that tour. And now he comes back, um, maybe not at the absolute peak of his powers because he hasn't played in a long time, but is coming back to right the wrongs of uh, particularly the tour that he was meant to be on. A couple yeah. uh, in 17, 18. Yeah, that's right. Obviously, he missed that tour in 17, 18 after the incident at the nightclub. And I don't think we need to go into that any further. But um, yeah, he's a, he's, he's going to make a huge difference. And I think it, it just changes that batting lineup completely. Obviously, they're going to have to drop either Bairstow or Pope uh, for to bring Ben Stokes in. So yeah, his, his batting average is much better than the other two. And he's just, he can take a game away in a session and I think it's going to make yeah England a lot harder to, to defeat. Definitely. Well, well, Sean Sean was saying about it before, like it still give a lot of Australian players nightmares about what he what he did in Headingley, and I, I myself still think about that. I was like, ooh, that's um, no, still lives long in the memory, and I just think it's great for everyone. It gives everyone a new series, and as you rightly said, there, Rory, I've just shown up a, a scribble on a um post-it note of England's batting lineup, and I was like, okay, they're going to have to drop one. I'm still trying to work out who bats at three for England. Um, and I reckon now that first 11 lineup for the Gabba, if the game is at the Gabba, it just looks that much better. And I think we can definitely say we've got a series now. It does. And I mean, you're right in saying it, it does lots for their order and their, and how they structure up. Huh? I mean, it, go, it takes a batting order that looks a bit shaky and sort of disorganised and some bats aren't playing where they probably prefer to bat to now Stokes just sort of makes everyone fit in a place to be it and gets that bit of competition. And I think what's so scary about Stokes coming compared to any other England player is that he's in that same mould of your Kevin Peterson types who you know are going to be good in Australian conditions, who just have that class that they will still take a game away from you, you know, on a hot day in Adelaide as much as they will on an afternoon and headingly. They're just, it's just, it's those rare type of players who have that ability that you just know are going to be a big factor and I think what he does both for the Australian mindset and for the England confidence going in just changes this series from what could be a dull one to now has a lot of life in it. Yeah, and I think bringing Stokes in is also going to allow England to actually play a spinner, a proper spinner. Jack Leach should be able to come to that lineup with Stokes being able to provide some overs that I guess weren't going to be happening if you had Pope or Bairstow in that number five spot. So 
yeah, I think it, it just it even evens the team out beautifully for England. And I don't know. I think we should still win five nil, but uh, we'll see what happens. I guess. You don't know we had Glenn McGrath on this podcast, Sean. Um, but <laughs> it's always great to welcome one of the best of all time. So um, thanks for joining us. But look, I agree. I think. Australia should still be looking to win comfortably. We know it's a big series for the Australian cricket team and the coach, Justin Langer, who's been copping at left, right and centre. It seems to have mellowed a little bit. But while it looks like England are looking to be a little bit more settled and it questions still remain over the Australian team and Victoria and New South Wales get their Sheffield, Sheffield Shield seasons underway today and as there's plenty of big names that need to perform and get some cricket under their belt, namely Marcus Harris, Nathan Lyon, Wilk Pekowski is hopefully going to play next week after receiving another knock in the nets. It's an interesting situation, Sean, because there's still questions over who's going to open the batting with David Warner and whether, whether or not Pekowski was fit or not. There was a question as to whether or not he would open the batting. And it's a really interesting discussion around Australian cricket right now. Oh, there is. There's a lot of variables that haven't quite fallen into place like they are on the England sort of side of the camp. Um, if you look at the moment, I mean, just as we speak, Harris's single-digit score this morning, um, and that really, you know, this was his one chance without his probably main rival in Pekowski there. That was his one chance to really shine against a decent New South Wales attack, and he's failed. But... I mean, it's just it's just all the probably the leading that Australian selectors didn't want in that Pekowski's had that other knock and now he's got a little setback, which he still should be right next week. But you know, it just takes away one extra chance to get decent cricket in and to show himself. And it's just not ideal. I mean, it's still a lot up in the air. I think most of their other batting and bowling is settled, but even having you know Paddington retire then just depletes the bowling stocks and. Then they're sort of on a hunt of is Michael Nisa the next option? How are they going to line up with the Gabba if they play there? I mean, I think especially the top order is a big issue, but yeah, there's a lot sort of to rush before the ashes to work out who fits where. Yeah, that's right. And I I think Pekowski's probably got that opening spot sewn up, to be honest with you. I think I'm not sure there's a lot Marcus Harris can do to overtake him. Um, unless something dramatic happens with Pekowski, like another concussion, I think he'll probably play that first test and Harris will be the backup, but there's also that, like, what do we do with David Warner? Um, he's clearly hasn't been in the best form. I'm not sure how much longer he's got. So we might see both of those Victorian opens uh, in the ashes at some point. Uh, the Michael Nisa question you just raised is interesting, Sean. He's not been picked today for Queensland. I think he's picked up some kind of injury. So that just depletes those stocks even more. I'm not, I'm not sure who's that backup seamer. Maybe is it, is it Sean Abbott? Um, is it, Richardson. Yeah, maybe a Jai Richardson. Any of those WA seamers look very good. So, yeah, I'm not sure where Australia goes next, apart from the, the top three. Well, is it even is it even a Mark Steckity who was included to that um, cancel tour of South Africa and from early season form looks to be taking wickets, even more wickets than um, Michael Neza. So it looks like he could definitely bolt into the fray to play an Ashes Test match or definitely be part of the squad. It's really going to be interesting. I thought that I, I was shocked by the Paddington retirement. I was sad because it was one of the um, one of the great careers that weren't, um, in, in a sense, in Australian cricket, just kept on being cut down and derailed by injury. And you thought this would be, as much as they played a lot in England, those four quicks, 
they didn't really all get a chance to have a big series together in Australia. And that's the saddest part. And particularly on the eve of an Asher series, a big Asher series for Australia, but with Patterson pulling the pin, it would throw all the plans into disarray. Oh, it has. And I think the saddest bit with it is when Patterson's played, especially recently, I remember when he played Boxing Day testing against New Zealand recently, he looked just as dangerous as Cummins did, which is a big thing to say because we all know the effect that Cummins has with ball in hand. But Patterson was always sort of in that same air as him, is in that same sentence, which it's sad to think that you couldn't have got both of them together. That sort of one of them has made you get it right, but the other never truly did internationally. Because I think the one person now who's taking a big sigh of relief after hearing that is Mitchell Stark, I think, ahead of this Asher series. I think that really probably takes a load off him because Pattinson and Stark was sort of always that little battle, especially with Stark's probably efforts last summer not quite up to scratch where India sort of played him really comfortably. I think I think now that takes a bit of load off him that he doesn't have that immediate pressure in Pattinson who's raring to sort of take that spot. But it is sad because it takes a lot of depth and fire and sort of X factor. As we're talking about X factor coming into the England squad, there's a bit of X factor that's now not going to be part of Australia's. It certainly is a massive talking point and there are issues with the batting and we'll we'll talk about this later when we get around to quick singles but I think as we start the next round of shield today um with all the teams playing there's quite a few batters in that Australian team or looking to get into that Australian team who could definitely do with some runs but continuing to talk about the Australian team we're going to move into chatting a bit about the T20 World Cup now which has um captivated everyone both through the um initial group stages and the super 12s might i just say before we get into the real discussion your thoughts on the theme song that they're using for this world cup banger i love it it's very good very absolutely good absolutely love it it's been wow. getting a getting a run on out getting a run on my spotify that's for sure oh it's up there that's probably if i could vote for a triple j hottest 100 It'd be dangerous year for it, I reckon. But. I reckon we need to make that up and just get it up there and really push for it. Um, Australia got there on Saturday night, just um, fell over the line against South Africa. The was predictable as it was and left us with more questions than answers. Um, Marcus Stoinis slotting back into that middle order and doing what I guess a lot of people wanted him to do for a long time, and that was really finish off a game for Australia in that role. We, I don't think many people thought that he could play that role coming in at six or seven, but he, but to his credit, he was able to do it. And Rory, you've been watching the IPL a lot closer than all of us. That's the role has been playing for Delhi Capitals under Ricky Ponting, and it was great to see him bring those skills and experience that he got in that tournament into a big international tournament. Yeah, that's right. I think Ricky Ponting's the the genius behind that move. Um, he probably spoke to Justin Langer about it and decided that's where he's going to play for the Capitals. But yeah, what he did on Saturday was was pretty incredible, really. I wasn't expecting that from him. He's usually obviously up the top for the stars. And yeah, to, to, he said he wants to be the best finisher in the world. And that kind of innings the other night's definitely put him on the way to getting there. It has. And I think we also need to give some credit to Wade as well, as much as all three of us wanted Inglis in there. And I think rightly so. I think we still hold that. And I think Australia's sort of top order showing with the bat shows that we need something different in there. 
to see Wade do that as well, I think is a massive boost or at least have another bat in form who, you know, can turn a game because when those two came together, I honestly thought that was going to be curtains in that match for us. And you could see JL's face. I thought there was a little slippery slope and it would have been the start of the end for Langer as much as the wheels are probably in motion behind the scenes. I think that loss would have been pretty catastrophic to start off a major tournament for Australia, considering where they were placed halfway through the game. We'll talk about South Africa in a moment because they are only the biggest story in world cricket at the moment. But just touching on English, Sean, there was a lot made of the selection of the Australian team and how they'd go in the combinations and the data and the pitches and the condition and still not really understanding the makeup of a team for T20 cricket. And when Ashton Agar was dropped and Australia's like, yeah, typical Australia, we'll just pick all our quicks. Do you think that this might come back to hurt them? And you look at it in hindsight and obviously not after that bowling performance and Hazelwood was magnificent and Zampa was magnificent and even Stark, although he was expensive in his first over, he came back really, really well and Cummins, well, his Pat Cummins a little bit loose early, but came back and really built into that bowling innings nicely. But it's interesting to see how they go. I know we'll probably address it a bit later, but do you think they're going to set and forget or... Are they going to look at each game and conditions on its merit? It's hard to say for an Australian selectors. I mean, history says they're going to set and forget and they're going to think, you know, especially the bowling, it's worked once. Whereas part of me thinks that it's a great start and it's great to show that we have three of those pace bowlers in that form. But I don't think you can do that against every team. And I think we come a bit predictable if we just set that in stone. I think you still need to have that competition that eventually you want to whittle it down to two of them. And, you know, against some of the better teams, you need that spin variation. But, yeah, I don't know. I really hope that they don't just set in stone. And I think the biggest thing across all of Australia's 11 I want them to look at is the opening pair. I mean, I think Warner, I think even in a little fleeting inning, showed his value when he is going. But to me, it's it's the captain. I don't know about you two, but... I mean, personally, I don't remember him, you know, putting together too many beginnings in the last couple of BBLs. And I think, I don't know, part of me just saw him bat on Saturday reminded me going, you know, he hasn't really been in good form for a while. And you've got batters like Inglis sitting there who can play any role from the top through to number seven. I mean, it just made me wonder why don't you, you know, chuck a Wade up the opening order and then you can put Inglis in, then you open up more room or you can chuck in Agar if you really want that extra spin. But I don't think they need it when you've got Maxwell and, you know, putting in that performance he did. But you will sometime in the tournament. I don't know. But to me, Finch is the one that is probably troubling me at the moment in the Australian lineup. He's certainly in a little bit of decline. You mentioned over the last couple of years, you know, his... BBL form hasn't been great and it's seldom lit it up for Australia a couple of times in an ODI and maybe once in a T20 um, game. It's a very interesting discussion which might come to its head, which might rear its head depending on how he goes against Sri Lanka. Look, I don't think they'll drop the captain even though there are a couple of other captaincy options in that team. You've got Glenn Maxwell who's the captain of the Stars and Cummins is captain New South Wales and Matthew Wade's even captain of the Hurricanes. So there are certainly options there if they do decide to give Finch a break. Let's also bear in mind he is Nils's first game back properly after a injury layoff, having surgery on his knee and only just made it back for the tournament. So it is a 
discussion point, obviously the form of Warner is a touchy subject. We spoke on it before. It very well could be the last big tournament that we see them together. And then that opens a whole other Pandora's box as to what Australia's opening combination is going to be. Yeah, that's right. Obviously, I don't think Finch is going to get dropped at all. I think he's going to stick around for the rest of the World Cup at least. Um, you can't drop the Australian captain during a big tournament like this, I wouldn't think. He's proven himself to be the best, Australia's best player over a long period of time. And, you know, there's old sayings, form is temporary, but class is permanent. I think that's probably what we're going to see at some point during this, this tournament. But on that, yeah, that Warner and, and Finch partnership, I'm not sure how much longer that's going to last. As I said earlier, obviously, David Warner's in a bad run of form and hopefully he gets over that. But I don't know. I think it's it's been creeping up on us a long time and it's been a, a story people haven't wanted to speak about, the decline of David Warner. So I think this is definitely the last World Cup we'll see them together. I'm not sure they'll bat together next next year in Australia when, that, when we come to that World Cup. But, yeah, I'm not against the idea of maybe dropping Finch down to a number four and then having... Inglis or a Wade open the batting, but obviously Wade did a good job down at seven the other night. So I think they'll while they're winning, they'll probably stick with that same lineup of you know Warner and Finch up the top, and then yeah have Wade and Stoinis finish off the innings down the bottom. Yeah, certainly interesting. So moving away, and you mentioned that word um, class, Rory. I don't know about you, but I think the whole cricketing world was captivated on. Sunday night, um, Monday morning, our time, by um, Pakistan versus India, over a billion people watching it around the world. Shaheen Shah Afridi probably bowls the most two perfect left arm over in-swingers you're ever likely to see. The first one cannoning into um, Rohit Sharma's pads, um, which is as plumb as plumb can be, and the second one cutting back in to smack the top top of off stump and completely destroy the castle of KL Rahul. He was on fire as Pakistan. Well, they thrashed them in the end and finally broke the curse, broke the hoodoo. And it was a tremendous game of cricket to watch as a neutral, but they just, they just whacked them. Yeah, that's right. Pakistan are just, they were way too good. I'm not sure what India were doing, but yeah, Pakistan came out of the blocks incredibly impressively and you know knocked off the tournament favorites uh afridi what a what a bowler is they, those yorkers were stark like when they that's about as as much praise as you can give to a to a left arm swing bowler like that so with a white ball yeah definitely definitely uh was in macram style stuff so yeah afridi's obviously gone and he'll lead that that a uh, young pakistan attack for a long time to come but yeah i'm not sure what the go with india was there they just they just seemed a little bit off of it i'm not sure if they've maybe played too much cricket with the IPL or maybe it's just a one-off against Pakistan and we'll see them see them come back in a in a few days time I'm sure they'll I'm sure they'll come back and I'm sure they'll really bounce I'm sure they will bounce back it was just fantastic to see particularly with Pakistan because we've followed cricket a long time Rory and you know that they're brilliant one day calamitous the next it was great to yes. see them back it up against New Zealand and win and they've really well Everyone was talking about them as potentially being one of the favourites pre-tournament, but to come out and win two games against two teams that they'd usually drop games against, and New Zealand's no mug of a T20 side either. They've got quality players all through their lineup, but to go out there and win by 10 wickets and then win by five wickets as well, it really has set the tone for a 
big, big tournament. And as much as they haven't been playing recently in the UAE, that's where they've been playing a lot of their home cricket over the last 10, 15 years. So they're familiar with the conditions as well. And it's, yeah, they've certainly surprised me um, going into this tournament. Um, But just picking up on what you said about India, Rory, I did laugh when um, one of the journalists asked um, Virat Kohli if he was planning on dropping Rohit Sharma after a golden duck. And that's one where you just point to the stat book, I reckon, and say, have you seen this guy's record in um, the shortest format of the game? Yeah, that's right. And uh, it wouldn't be the smartest move from Virat to drop Rohit, considering Rohit's going to take over the captaincy in two weeks' time when this tournament's finished. So, yeah, obviously not a great question from the journalist. I think he probably would like to take that question back if he could. Interesting sort of thing that, I mean, you think of it, someone with Sharma's record who has won so many games for India in 2020s would ever consider getting dropped us off one golden dark. I think it shows a bit of misunderstanding for what it's like being a T20 opener when you have to take it on from the word go. I mean, you just... I mean, if I think if any other nation had Sharma, he's not getting dropped for the rest of his career just for what he's done. It's all very good to see them up, and I'm sure we'll see India bouncing back and making the semi-finals. They definitely cemented themselves as one of the early favourites. As another one of the early favourites has seemed to be um, faltering. Um, the West Indies got absolutely hammered by England, and then again overnight against South Africa, probably falling in a way which. We, no one really thought that they'd fall. I mean, um, if there was if there was ever a case for um, retiring a batter out in a T20 game, just look at what Lendl Simmons did against um, South Africa. He was going, well, I think he got confused as to what game he was playing there, Rory, just um, different type. Yeah, that's right. Watching that game, it was, looked like a test match. I think the first five overs, they were on about 12 runs. So, yeah, not a, not a great effort by Simmons at the top there. I think he finished on with a strike out of about 45, which is, you know, that's slow for a test match, let alone at 2020. So, yeah, the West Indies, are they're not looking great, to be honest with you. I think they, they're they very old, that team, aren't they? Chris Gale, 42. Dwayne Bravo's, you know, 39. They've got a few others that are, that are pushing up there. Ravi Rampal's come back after five years in the wilderness. So, yeah, I'm not sure they're the threat that they looked like being before that we went into the tournament. Even I, even I got surprised when I saw Ravi Rampal's name in their squad. I remember, I remember seeing him out here playing Test career, but you just look at him and it was like he's still around. And I think that's the case with that entire West Indies squad. Yeah, they've got the young mm. guns in um, Puran and Hetmeyer, but you fill it out with guys like um, Simmons, Lewis, uh, Simmons, Gale and Pollard and Russell and Bravo, it's like, well, let's just get the band back together for a last dance, if you will. Yeah, that's right. And it just looks like the game's probably just passed them by a little bit. Uh, I don't think they're going to, they're not going to make the semifinals, it looks like. So, you know, it's, it's going to be goodbye for a lot of those players. And while the careers have been great to watch, I think it's probably done. Yes, well, certainly will be a surprise to see them fall. Perhaps... Mm-hmm. Another story to emerge from that game. It's a bit of a serious topic, and we'll do this before we get into the fun of um, I'm sorry, Watson, all our regular segments. But Rory, you were all over this, and there was a bit of um, shock, and I guess, I guess, I guess you can say a little bit of um, more um, fires and concerns for South Africa, particularly with the news that circulated about the whole BLM and we've seen cricket be a leader and sport 
be a leader in sending a powerful message against racism and to hear that Quinn de Kock had made himself unavailable for South Africa for that World Cup game because of the directive of Cricket South Africa to all, for all their players to take a knee at the start of every game. We saw it was definitely seen at the start of every game so far this tournament, particularly in South Africa's first game against Australia. All Australia's players took a knee and all of South Africa's players of colour took a knee and some of the um, non-coloured players in South Africa didn't take a knee and chose to observe in their own way. There's We're going to deal with the facts as to what's happened so far today and what's been happening overnight in this particular story. Um, so, Rory, why don't you bring us up to speed and then we can discuss, I guess, the main points. Yeah, it's obviously a, a serious issue and pretty sad in a few different ways. Um, so what happened last night? So Quinton de Kock was not selected in that 11 for the match against the, against the West Indies. Yeah, as he said, he made himself unavailable. That was only known to the captain, Temba Bavuma, uh, as they got to the change rooms at the game. So up until that point, uh, he was of the belief that Quinton was going to play and, and take the knee as the rest of the players did. Um, obviously, Quinton didn't take the knee in the first game. He, uh, While well, you said the, the other players observed, Quinton was out in the middle and he uh, didn't play any part in that. I think that was that's probably where that directive has come from. Uh, so just I'll read out some of what they, what's Cricket South Africa said in a press release. Um, so they said, all, all required players in line with the directive of this Cricket South Africa board on Monday... Uh, have been directed to take a knee in a united and consistent stance against racism. Uh, this is a global gesture against racism that's been adopted by sports people across the sporting codes, codes because they recognise the power of sport to bring people together. Uh, the board has made it clear it was imperative for the team to be seen to be taking a stand against racism, especially considering South Africa's history. The board's view uh, was that while diversity can and should find expression in uh, the facets of daily lives, this does not apply when taking a stand against racism. So, yeah, I'm not sure. Obviously, Quinton's going to have to, he's either going to have to take the knee in the next match or he's, I guess he's unavailable for the rest of the tournament. So my first thoughts when I read that statement were twofold. I thought, one, this is another fire that Cricket South Africa have to put out and there have been a number of them over the last 12 to 18 months. and. The second thought I add is, I think, sadly, it might be the last time we see Quinton in a Proteus shirt, which is um, really sad from a cricket lover's point of view because we love the way that Quinton de Kock plays the game. But I think, as that statement said there, Rory, particularly knowing the history of South Africa and what they've been through as a nation and some of the laws and politics that Cricket South Africa have written in their constitution it would almost make it impossible for him to represent the Proteas again. Yeah, unless he has a, there's going to have to be a serious talking to, I guess, a bit of education there on behalf of, I guess, Bavuma is the captain to Quinton and well, hopefully they can come up with some kind of... Um... You mentioned Bavuma there and I think he handled himself really, really well, particularly in the post-match, just getting peppered with questions about the situation. You know, Tembe himself is a man of colour and... I, it's always said the captain of a national cricket team is almost as hard, if not harder than being the prime minister of a country. So I think he did very, very well in the post-match there, sort of fending off all the difficult questions. But Sean, as we 
said, look, we haven't heard Quinton's side of the story yet and there have been series and stuff in Australia even last year with um, Ben Dunk and the Melbourne Stars. We saw that it was wasn't mandated for BBL players to take a knee, BBL and WBBL players to take a knee, but a lot of them decided to do and uh, to take a knee and a lot of them decided, like Ben Dunk, to stand and make their own stand against racism in their own way. And while Dunk didn't take the knee, he stood there quietly in silence. And I'll read some comments from the Melbourne Star CEO, Nick Cummins, we make it clear that everyone at the Stars, players and staff stand firmly against racism of any kind and how our players choose to express that is just what they do in the 15 seconds before the game, but what they do throughout their lives as well. So it's not saying that I think a lot of the insinuations against Quinton de Kock have, are definitely unfounded, but I think it's very much a matter of choice and how you choose to express your views against this issue it is and i think it's a really complex thing i mean i think all of us in the cricketer community would agree that it's something that to be brought in i think is very important and very meaningful and i think it's great that you know many players have this way of showing by taking a knee and showing that respect and you know sort of showing their stance, but there is also the other side of it where you don't know what's going on behind it. And, you know, someone who doesn't is always going to cop something for it just because that's what the visuals look like. The way it's sort of portrayed is that if you don't take a knee that you're immediately racist, which I think is something going forward where, you know, you just hope that you get some education behind why some people are choosing not to, because it might not actually match those visuals of what it immediately looks like, but you know, I mean, part of me, when I saw, as you mentioned about Ben Dunk, when I first saw that, I immediately thought, like, you know, if you're if you're not sort of someone who has those racist tendencies, how hard can it be to take a knee for 10 seconds and do it? But I think that's also a bit rash and a bit sort of uneducated to just assume that. So, yeah, as much as I think I agree with you, that it's going to be hard to see Decock get into that national fold again and wear that shirt because of what's happened. I think there's just need some more details to come out. I think we need more facts. I think we need to sort of get more behind why these players are choosing not to before you can make decisions or cast them aside or label them as something, because no matter what it looks like visually, I think we all, I think from the last few years with social media and, you know, mental health and everything in professional sport know that there's a lot more behind each movement than what it simply looks like. So although it was very sad for all of us to see, um, I really want to hold judgment until there's more that comes out and you know motives behind things and what's actually going on because it's very easy to look at it and immediately cast someone aside. But in until we know 100% sort of why, I don't know, you, you don't want to be tearing someone down yet. Yeah, I don't disagree with you there, Sean, but we do have to, to look at it in that bigger Cricket South Africa situation. Obviously, they've had a lot of issues. Recently, they've had the coach and like coaching staff and players investigated for racism accusations going back to the 90s. And Quinton de Kock was formerly the captain of this team and now he's not. So I think there's there's more to be looked at there. And I think without us casting any aspersions on Quinton, um, hopefully they, they can resolve something there. Definitely. Oh, yeah, Definitely. South Africa is a very complicated country. And yeah, as three guys from Australia, it's it's probably not our place to... To speak on it too much further, I don't think. 
And that's it. And that's probably the only one thing I'd be disappointed with to talk about is what you mentioned is that what it now means for cricket South, for cricket South Africa as a whole. I think that's sort of something separately you'd look at. But as you've also acknowledged, yeah, I think his motives and everything behind it, it's hard for three of us sitting in, you know, Southeastern Australia to make judgments about because it's not really sort of anything that we've encountered or anything we know about deep to the core because I don't know about you two but I've never been to South Africa I don't I've got no heritage in there so I don't really have any sort of place to judge it the only thing that I'm sort of disappointed about with Decock is that you know yeah what it now means for South African cricket because it's just another setback for them and a pretty big one considering it's a former captain even in the here and now for this upcoming World Cup yeah they got on the board last night due to um, some fantastic batting with um, Aidan Markram and Rossi van der Dussen. It, but what it means, and you, the cock the cricketer is such a dynamic cricketer at the top of the order and behind the stumps. It's a real delicate situation. It's definitely one that involves a um, much broader and deeper discussion, which, as you mentioned, Rory and Sean, none, none of us three are really qualified to... Um, do so and have that discussion but we will park that issue now and we will move on to this now that's the funniest thing i've seen for a long time now how many of you picked this up i can't believe it and he can't either so let's lighten the mood a little bit it's been a great podcast so far but it's time to move into something that um Caught our eye during the week. Um, it's our segment where we stop and look back and go, I'm sorry, what was that? Um, something really silly. Um, Sean, we're going to kick off with you. We were speaking about club cricket and club seasons at the top of the show, and something's um, something's caught your eye um, from an outground in Melbourne. Yes, and I mean, I probably had a personal one with it that sort of made me think about it as well, but... This was, as you both know, I'm a bit of a cricket video savant when you're going, trawling through Facebook and the likes, and you just always get some interesting club cricket things that remind you just the level that we are, we, at least us three are playing at, that how sometimes it can be not so crash hot. And this was some video, I think, anonymously almost posted in. I think there was just a cricket club to the name and no actual person, which, you know, we love. So someone's thrown their mate under the bus here. Um, it seems to be in an indoor environment with a bowling machine and, I'm sure we're all guilty of it. When you sort of have your hit, you go, I'm going to crank it up now. So I'm, especially if you melt a couple of half volleys off the jugs balls, you think I could face anything. Let's, and in this case, they've decided to go up to 150 kilometres um, on the bowling machine. And straight away as it's come out, I mean, I'd, I'd say 150 kilometres is difficult to see and face in any day, but this guy has not even moved an inch before it's crashed into about his heel on the front foot and, it's just, yeah, I don't know. That just made me think that, you know, we love cricket so much, but geez, the level I'm playing at, it's almost, a, it was a bit of a what's the point when that's sort of the company that we're keeping in club cricket. And it reminded me last night we had our uh, big club return to training last night. So instead of just a small group, it was all of us. And they've decided to do some fielding drills right in front of the car park. And as you can see, oh. a lot of people's arms when they start, are not of the sharpest and how many broken windscreens 
Well, surprisingly, they obviously there are some rich people down near where the club is because there were some nice cars and they must have reinforced windshields because some of them got absolutely clattered on the full <laughs> with cricket balls and held firm and just made the sickening thud that ball on car bonnet and windshield makes, but nothing nothing broke somehow. There was just some, I think some of them would have been some rich parents coming to pick up their kids from the junior one before. And as they're waiting, they're seeing pallets of cricket balls is raining down on their fancy BMW four-wheel drive. So as much it was as as much as it was difficult to see, it was similar to that video of the bowling machine that I think it's something that was pretty pretty funny because it wasn't my car. Um, if it was my car or if it was my foot facing that bowling machine 150k ball, I'd be a bit different. But just reminded me of the subpar level that I play in. Note to everyone, always park on the other side of the ground. Um, I definitely have that situation at Albert Park. Um, so it's uh, definitely something that I look out for um, and always make sure I'm getting a spot on that other side. Um, Rory, um, speaking of catching in the deep, something's caught your eye at the World Cup. Yeah, that's right. Last night, South Africa and the West Indies, another, I think we've touched enough on that game, but um yeah, Dwayne Pretorius was was bowling to Kyron Pollard. Obviously, we all know that Kyron Pollard hits probably the hardest ball in world cricket. Uh, what I found interesting was Bavuma's put in a probably the weirdest bowling uh, fielding position I've ever seen. Sorry. So it's basically deep bowler. So he's on the 30-yard ring, but directly behind the bowler and the umpire. He's no sight of the ball coming at him. Pollard smashed a straight drive. It's almost killed Alan Dar on the way through. He's on his he's on his back. Alan Alan Dar's. 65 years old, probably lucky to, to get back up, to be honest with you. And very nimble, Ali. Yeah, very he does, nimble. He does well for an older gentleman, that's for sure. But yeah, it's, the balls come straight to this this fielder at, at deep bowler, essentially. I'm not sure if you guys have ever seen a, a fielding position like that before. I, think I guess I'm... in the level we play, the straight drive's not really a, a, well, a great shot, to be honest with you. It doesn't happen often. Well, the level we play, we'd probably see more backstops than deep bowler. Um, I, I think I remember seeing Michael Clark deploy that position once in a um, test match in Abu Dhabi. Um, I think he might have done it. I think that was the game where Mishpal Haq went berserk and hit the fastest 100 of all time and Yassi Shah um, ran through Australia four times. So I, I think that's probably the only time I've seen it before, but it ended up working. Like he ended up. I think Vander Dussen, the fielder, ended up taking the catch and um, yeah, he did. Yep, took the catch. Saved sa- yes. a few runs. Yeah, that's right. It's very innovative uh, field placement from Bavumera. Give him some credit for that one. It was a great catch by uh, Vander Dussen as well. Yeah, fantastic. Well, mine's a little bit closer to home and I'm loving the timings of the games in the UAE because it means I can get to things beforehand. But my query was... Just what on earth was happening with the batting power play in the WBBL yesterday? There was a double header of games at Utah Stadium. Fresh wicket, good tinge of green, expecting to be a flat surface, but plenty in it for bat and ball. I don't know if we had to, um, I don't know if we really expected this, but the Melbourne Stars, two for 18 off their first six overs in the batting power play. The Sydney Thunder, four for 13 off their first um, six overs in the batting power play. And then the Hobart Hurricanes, four for 33 in their um, batting power play. The Brisbane Heat managed to get through their batting power play 
unscathed for about 30 or 40 odd and ended up winning that game quite easily. But what on earth was happening? Like, did they, did they have to turn it on and off again, just down in um, Tasmania? I know it's not a regular cricket ground that they use. I've been using it a bit more for um, BBL and WBBL in recent years, but that's obscene. Like, you won a fair contest between bat and ball, but to have more wickets than runs in the batting power play um, for three out of the four innings, that's um, definitely a first for me in that competition and across T20 cricket. Incredible. And... I, mean, I remember seeing that yesterday and it just reminded me even to similar things at the start of the men's world cup we're seeing 2020 the sort of that opening bout power plays becoming harder and harder for batting teams to get right like you saw by the with australia and south africa how much they struggled in it and to see in the wbbl i mean you almost would rather as a bowler have a crack in that power play because as much as it can go wrong if you get it right you're going to get wickets quickly and it was just amazing to see it happen in such what look like perfect conditions on a great pitch to see that happen makes you think whether there's sort of a bit of evolution in the game of 2020 where actually that power play isn't just a, you know a batter's paradise it actually is a chance for skillful bowlers if they get the swing right they get the spin right early they're going to be able to rip through and set up a game with the ball instead of you'd associate it with the bat but it's just incredible stuff it was absolutely wild to see yeah it's certainly one to look at and who knows if as the action continues today and throughout the week and I guess moving on to the quick word and quick whip around the WBBL, it's really starting to take shape. Every team's played a handful of games and it's really starting to take shape. The strikers have gone out the top. The Brisbane Heat are on a roll. The Renegades have certainly improved on last season and the other teams around the mark, everyone... I, guess except for the Sydney Thunder have gotten on the board and shown all their wares and their talents and it's really really turning out to be a fantastic season and I think one of the things we always talk about the fielding Sean but the fielding level of a lot of the girls and their efforts in the ring or on the boundary with some of the catching has really gone to new levels this season. Uh, It has and I think we say it every year but it is remarkable even as a normally I think in other years we've noticed it sort of initially that the feeling's gone up and then as players tire, it starts to drop. But so far, I don't know but about what you guys think, but from my perspective, it's just getting better and better as in probably at the start, there was some jitters and getting back into it. But then since then, it's just been the highest quality. I mean, some of the efforts happening in the field are terrific and it's starting to happen. I mean, everywhere, as we're talking about yesterday, ball seemed to dominate that a bit, but all up, it's just an incredibly even tournament. I mean, you look at the moment and there's, five teams who have got two wins and the same points. And then there's Brisbane who are, you know, one win ahead. But from there, Hobart is still in the mix. It's only really the Thunder who are out of it. But it looks like compared to other years, we're getting even more even competition. And it's just going to get even more exciting because every game is just a toss of the coin at the moment. And it's brilliant to watch. Yeah, that's right. I think that evenness is really what's going to define this season. I think any team can probably win it from here. Even the Thunder, if they get on a roll, they should be able to make finals. So, yeah, it's going to be very interesting. What caught my eye this week, though, was Sophie Devine for the Scorchers. We said last week that if the Scorchers are going to have any success, it's going to be on the back of Devine and Mooney. And that paid off with a big uh, Divine century this week. Big Divine century, big opening partnership. And it really, you oh. <laughs> know... Once, once they got going, there was no there was no way back for the Thunder. The 
poor Sydney Thunder who were yet to win a game, but they didn't really have any answers for them. And just the way that Soapy Devine was hitting the cricket ball to all parts of Utah Stadium was just, um, again, as a cricket purist and cricket fans, just clean ball striking. Oh, she was smacking him. And I know, I think it's, it made me smirk a bit, I think, when I saw sort of, I probably hopped on it at the second 50 of Divine's 100 when Mooney was accompanying her pretty well. And all I could think about was our comments going, you know, the depth, what's what's after those two? And because I was laughing, going, these two, if you put on 150, what matters? You could have anyone after, but, you know, you've already set up and won a game through that. And, I mean, I mean Divine, we all know, has a rare quality that not many have in the women's game to just, you know, take a match away like that with such clean striking. I mean, some of those slog sweeps and lofted drives over, you know, mid-on and mid-wicket were just absolutely incredible. And we all know she can do that, but I don't think it stops the surprise whenever she does manage to pull it out. Uh, it certainly is great to watch. And the action continues today. Um, the stars led by Meg Lanning, they're starting to find a few players. Annabelle Sutherland's really growing into her role at the top of the order and with the ball in hand. Um, Kim Garth yesterday as well. Um, now, I, I don't know about you, Sean, but if I'm if I'm a lo- if I'm bowling at local cricket and I've done and I've done what Kim Garth's able to do yesterday and take three wickets in three overs and not concede any runs, I'm not asking for the ball again. Um, <laughs> no, and I'm- you're both shaking your head. And like as much as she bowled really really well and went for runs in that final over, surely surely Meg. Could have just protected her a little bit. It was like, nah, Kim, you've done your job. We'll just, we, well, we've got the game home and hose. Let's give it to someone else. Way too much of a risk. I, yeah, I, when I saw, I was almost horrified and going straight. You're tempting fate there, where you managed to produce something like that, and then it just, it's not like it's ruined the figures because she still ended with what three for eleven off four overs. I mean, pretty remarkable, but completely different to three for none off three. And you leave it at that, and you, you know, get into some record books or something, and. You don't worry about that last over. You chuck it to someone else because, you know, the game, although they ended up, it looked more narrow, they had it won. It's just, yeah, I mean, I was I was shocked and horrified and it probably made me put my head in my hands because it ruined a, what could have been a pretty cool bit of history in the WBBL yesterday. Yeah, I might have gone to try to fake an injury to, to stop that fourth over being bowled. It's a, it's a good little bowling average decreaser there to get you a trophy at the end of the year, so... Yeah, I would I would have definitely stayed away from that fourth over. Let's see if words were had. And I guess to round off this chat about the WBBL, the Sydney Sixers have had, well, gone slightly better than their Crosstown rivals, but they've had a bit of an indifferent start. The star-started lineup: um, Healy, Verma, um, Radha Yadav, um, Ash Gardner. They're finding it a little bit difficult to get going at the moment. At least Perry, the captain, said, they were definitely in need of a break. And I think they missed the finals last year and there's going to be a lot of eyes on them yet again. Yeah, that's right. And they're definitely that star-side lineup. I know they really, they look the best team on paper, but sometimes that just doesn't come out. And I don't know, you can never write them off though. That that batting lineup's incredible and it's just going to take one good game, I think, to get them all in form. And, you know, they might just put on a good run towards the end and take the title. That's that's the thing about T20 cricket. It's literally any given day. Oh, exactly. And I think with that, with so much quality in 
that lineup, you still can never write them off. And I'm still have a right up there as one of the favorites if they get it right. But as you see, I mean, even looking across other sports, you look in the NBA and you look at what the Lakers have at the moment, the problems they're having, just because you have such quality on paper doesn't necessarily translate to on-field success, but it just means that you're always a massive chance of it if you get it right, which I think there's plenty of time for the Sixers to get it right. And I would definitely not be writing them off at any stage because they're one or two quick blistering knocks away from, you know, someone like Healy and it's, you know, completely changes their season around. It remains to be seen. Um, and I'm sure over the next couple of rounds of games, it'll even itself out a bit more or it could get even tighter. Lads, we're nearly out of time, but we've just got enough time to finish off with a few of these. So quick singles, really quick questions. Um, first one I'm going to ask you, Rory. Usman Khawaja, he's made a few runs at the start of this um, season in the Sheffield Shield, leading Queensland really well. Has he put himself back in the frame, not only for a test recall, but a leadership position? Yeah, I think 100%. He's, he's definitely put himself back in that test conversation, hasn't he? It's just a matter of whether... Justin Langer wants to pick him. Uh, I know there's a bit of tension between those two. So, not yeah. if you ask him. Yeah, I know if you ask them, they'll both say they're all good, but I don't think that's probably the, the truth, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, Osman's obviously a great batsman, and we've seen what he can do at the test level when he gets in. In terms of that leadership position, John, I think I was thinking about this the other day. I was, if Osman Kawaja was in that Australian team when the Cape 10 incident happened, I think there's a good case to be made that he could have been made the captain instead of Tim Payne. Uh, that's just a hypothetical, but that's uh, kind of what I was thinking about the other day because I'm a normal person and do that kind of thing. <laughs> All right. We'll chuck one your way, Sean. So we've seen uh, Group A of that World Cup, to, uh, Group A of the World Cup. They've got Australia, they've got England, the West Indies, South Africa. Who do you think are the two teams to make it out of that group of death? Good question. And it's another one of those shower thoughts, I think, that you would have had about Kawaja and alternate realities. So I probably, you know, scanning over this group of death, probably wrote it up on the shower screen in the steam and just crunched some numbers to just try and see what happened. Um, I think England is definitely one that I'm going to pencil in to get out of that group of death successfully, just because I like their team. And I mean, they absolutely destroyed the West Indies, which, you know, time will tell whether that's actually a big move, but I think that's still, they look like a very good side. So I'm going to put them in. Um, and originally, you know, going into the tournament, West Indies would have been right up there, but that's, you know, probably been, you know, torn up a bit. And I think it gives Australia a great outlet to get out of that group of death, but they've only played one game and weren't convincing. So yeah, those probably definitely England's the one I'm tipping, but from there, you know, Australia, maybe, I don't know, Sri Lanka have had a hard task getting into the tournament as such. So I don't know if they'll be able to maintain that. So it could be out of Australia and South Africa, which makes that first win all the more important in my end. Um, and talking about of Australian representation, Marcus Harris, we touched on earlier, Jono, um, is taking part in these upcoming Shield games, including today at the moment. And he's got sort of that chance to audition for that opening role. What's a pass mark for him in these Shield games to be able to get a sniff of that Asher squad? I think you'd definitely want a score, if not two scores over three figures. Um, but he definitely needs to 
look assured at the crease. And look, he's actually had a pretty good fist of it the last eight months, Marcus Harris facing the red ball. I know I think he failed earlier on today, but he was David Warner's last opening partner in a test match all the way back in January and he's put up some really good form in um, county cricket. Um, Rory's going to remind me of the team that he played for because I've just forgotten. Um, Gloucestershire, thank you. Um, So he's actually been really good with a batting hand facing a red ball. So he'd be looking at a couple of scores, definitely over 50 and over 100. Um, But speaking of the shield, um, going back to you, Rory, um, we mentioned before lots of names, lots of people in need of a score. Who needs the biggest score in this round of the shield? I think going back to the question you asked just earlier, I think it's probably Usman Kawaja. I think he's the furthest behind of, of Harris and Head. So, yeah, I think he's probably going to need an extra 100 compared to those other two to sneak his way into either that opening position or number five. So, yeah, Usman Kawaja for a century today, I think. Uh, John, I will chuck this one back at you. You seem to, to enjoy Alan Dahl's work. So is Alan Dahl now the Dickie Bird or Billy Bowden of our times? Uh, it, uh, it's 100% yes. And you look at him as much as it was just evasive action getting out of the way, getting out of the way yesterday to an absolute rocket smack by um, Andre, Andre Russell back at him. Um, and we've seen him in Australia a couple of years ago, you know, running around in the field and making sure he's in the position, always having a joke with the bowler and the batter at the non-strikers. And he's very, um, he's, he's mellowed a lot as he's grown older, Alim Dar. We've seen um, the beard come on and grow on his face and everyone take a liking to him. He's become, um, he's become everyone's favourite umpire i think alim dar just in the way that he goes about it i i I hope he gets back at you for the usher series because it will be fun it'll be another um interesting interesting subplot um this is interesting one for you sean um obviously the all conquering southern stars led by meg lanning and with a few of those players getting on and getting older um and getting into the final years of their career Who's the next Australian women's captain? It's a very interesting question. Um, and I, first of all, I like the call about Aleem Dar. Talking about my famous dance wars, I wouldn't want to take him. I think the old man has some moves that would have me covered. Um, but, I mean, for the Southern Stars, I think it's a very interesting question. I think they're probably there was a time where Lanning, you know, with her injuries might have hung him up early and I would have thought someone like Horatio Haynes would have been perfect for it. But... From now, you think it's probably not worth it because she's part of that sort of golden age that's probably only got a couple of years left, maybe. So I think one that might not be the next immediate captain, but one who could be in pretty quick time, who are, you know, is making a good fist of it, at least in the WBBL and is enjoying it, is Talia McGrath. I think she's one that, you know, especially if she keeps developing as a leader of the strikers and keeps doing well, she's one that you keep an eye on because as we've seen leadership and pressure over this summer so far has only made her better. So yeah, to me, I, I think she's one that you look at in the future, almost like how a couple of years ago when Cummins came back in cricket Australia, started looking at him, I'd be investing that same care in. Now I think Rory, you're a massive sort of lover of this 2020 world cup and you're watching more balls and probably Jono and I combined because you just love it. If for Australia, 
is there one retired Aussie that you wish you could bring back in to really boost our chances? Yeah, I think this is another one of those shower hypotheticals we were talking about earlier, Sean. So I think we've seen um, Matthew Hayden's over with Pakistan at the moment. He's he's clearly made an impact there. So maybe Matthew Hayden. But for me, I can't go past Michael Hussey. Um, Michael Hussey does everything, doesn't he? I'd give him a bowl, give him a bat in that middle order. We saw what he did in, in the World Cups that he did play, almost getting Australia the title a couple of times. He even took the gloves in a couple of games for the Scorchers. He really can do anything. Right, yeah, he's, he's Mr. Cricket, isn't he? You read my mind, Rory. The one man I had in mind. Brad Hodge, just because he's entertaining. Um, <laughs> all right, Jono. So you've chucked this one in the in the run town. I think it's an interesting. Trent Woodhill, of course, the, the well-known T20 innovator, came up with the 100, came up with the, the interesting changes to Big Bash rules last year. He's uh, He believes that the T20 World Cup needs the power surge. Are you with him there, Jono? Do you think the power surge should be implemented in international as well? Well, we were talking about this last week and what rules we'd bring into the BBL. Um, and as much as I'd love to watch um, Rishabh Pant and Andre Russell and the like um, have a power surge in the 17th and 18th over of a um, T20 World Cup, absolutely not. As much as we want to keep innovating and make this game as fun and as entertaining as it would be. And I'm sure we can all agree that we'd love to watch um, Pant and Coley and um, <laughs> Andre Russell just whacking every single ball and having another power play at the back end of a um, T20 innings, um, particularly in a World Cup. I even saw a suggestion that for an over in the back end of the innings that the batsmen get double runs. Um, but no, I wouldn't be bringing in the power surge late. Um, it would be fun, but I wouldn't be doing it. Um, one more for you, um, Sean. We were discussing this earlier, but now that Pattinson has hung up the baggy green and is out of the ashes running, would you like to see Jai Richardson or Michael Nessa um, become that fourth quick in line? Well, originally it would have been Nessa, but with everything going on with birth of a child and some mild injury problems, I think I'm going to find it pretty hard for him to get in. I think his time was really last summer, and particularly that Gabba test was probably the perfect time for him. I mean, to me, Richardson's an exciting one who shows international level. He will do the job and he has that bit of X factor. So I think he's probably the next in that Pattinson mould that you want around. But I think it's also would be pretty rude to Mark Steckity if you don't give him a shot around there too. So I think they're pretty far and away, probably that next level of Australian pace bowler that you got to look at with Pattinson now out. But I mean, after that, then there's probably daylight before you look at any of the others. And yeah, I'm just going to find it interesting that if someone like a Stark, you know, fails at the start of the ashes and is a bit like last summer where he just can't find his rhythm. I think Richardson's probably the immediate one you'd bring in to have wicked impact. But if you want consistency, then you'd go whether, you know, Nisa or Steckity are fit, you go either one of them. Um, and while we're on about that, I mean, this is more to you, Rory, but I want probably want both of you to answer. With Pattinson now gone, do you reckon there's going to be a surprise packet in that, in that Ashes squad that we pick? And who would it be? And Justin Langer is probably the least inventive coach of all time. So I don't think there's there's going to be surprise, but I hope there is. Um, for me, there's a couple of names. So Matthew Renshaw, uh, he bats in the middle order for Queensland now. I think there's a chance he takes that number five spot. Yeah, yeah, if he puts some runs together, I think there's a chance he gets in that middle order. Uh, an interesting one who hasn't, who hasn't played for Australia yet is uh, Lawrence Neil Smith down in Tasmania. 
Uh, he's averaging 50 with the bat so far this year and 13 with the ball. So, yeah, I think he could come in as an interesting selection as a kind of all-rounder spot, I think. Would certainly be a very interesting and bold call. And I think, you know, we'd get one of our colleagues here at the Inner Sanctum very excited, excited if he was to bolt into that Ashes squad. Gents, fantastic. I think that's about it for today. Some tremendous discussions. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at over and stumps, all lowercase, all one word. Um, stay tuned for updates on Sean's dance battle with um, Australian women's cricketers. Um, that's proceeded to develop as the weeks have gone on. And stay tuned for next week's edition of the show. We've managed to secure a special guest. We were not going to reveal who the guest is, but let's just say, Rory, you're, you're going to want to listen to this one, don't you? Yeah, it's absolutely. It's going to be a party. It's going to be fun. There's going to be some humour. I think it's going to be the best one so far. It's definitely... Definitely one to listen out for. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to tell your mates if they just want something to listen into. And hearing three guys talk about cricket and analysing it from different perspective. Boys, thanks so much, Rory. Good luck for the weekend. Um, we're looking forward to hearing how you go, Sean. Keep practising. I'll keep practising. And until next week, that is over and stumps.